right, welcome to Six Degrees Podcast, where we take some of our favorite films and connect them by Six Degrees of Separation, uh, based on the different actors that are in these movies. Today is Season 2, Episode 2, we are at the 1978 classic, well, some call it a classic, Superman. Uh, today, I am joined by our uh, old replacement uh, co-host, Adrian Sedanio, welcome back. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Glad to be back. It's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. We had you on the replacement episode last uh, last season, which also had Gene Hackman. Yes. He was our connection. Yes. He was our connection for that one. Gene Hackman's also in this movie. Um, but yeah, we're talking Superman. Uh, Margot Kidder, who was an Amityville whore, uh, which was our first episode, got us here to Superman. And then our degree of separation today is going to be Valerie Perrine. We'll get a little bit uh, more into her in a bit. But first off, Adrian, do you remember the first time you saw this movie? Yeah, actually, I do. Um, I want to say I was like five years old, six years old. I was yeah. still putting on a towel around my neck, you know, pretending I was Superman jumping off the couch. Um, but I don't remember much. I remember one scene. Um, right. So it... It's it's bizarre how watching it again um, uh-huh. sparks some nostalgia, but um, yeah, my overall we'll, we'll go over that I guess later. <laughs> okay, is that is that the first thing you remember? Like as a kid of Superman, was this movie, or do you remember the cartoons that were out before it? The comics? No. Were you into that at the time? I was I was in I was never really into comics. Um, I was into the cartoon. I remember right. Uh, I had a VHS and I would record it. Um, and then I'd go back and play back on Saturdays, you know, that, that was my jam. So I do remember Superman, the cartoon, uh, I understood the concept, um, but it never really was a, a movie I could sit through. Well, it's crazy for our generation, right? I feel like, you know, though this came out before our time, like I said, in 1978, it's really the first kind of staple of Superman that I remember. Like, same kind of age range, around five or six. Remember seeing this movie. Definitely remember Christopher Reeves and Margot Kidder as as Superman and Lois Lane. Um, but the actual story or the actual movie, I apparently forgot. <laughs> like, I'm, I, I rewatched uh, this film for the pod, and it's like so many specific things I don't remember. Did you have a similar experience? Yeah, I, I didn't remember any of it. Um, even the scene I thought I remembered from it, <laughs> yeah. I didn't remember it right. Um, right. So right. It, it was kind of bizarre that uh, the visual effects were not on point yet, um, although yeah. it was better than, you know, some of the other older movies we've seen. <laughs> well, I, I mean, let, let's jump into that. You know, this film came out in 1978, as I said, and was actually the second highest grossing film of that year. Uh, the number one movie, Greece, with your boy, <laughs> with your John boy Travolta. John Travolta. <laughs> uh, but some other movies that came out that year, some great ones: um, the original Halloween, uh, National Lampoon's Animal House, uh, Steven Spielberg's Jaws, and of course, maybe uh, so, so for the culture, uh, Cheech and Chong's Up in Smoke also came out in 1978. And, and I um, feel like. There, some of those are better movies than what Superman yeah. was. Uh, yeah, I don't know 100%. if it's because of the story. Um, the story in this one is kind of rough. Uh, 
they kind of just throw it at you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you 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 touched on kind of like the the special effects of this film really feel dated. You know, one scene that comes to mind is when Clark Kent, young Clark Kent, ah, excuse me, young Clark Kent is uh running and racing the train right and you see the <laughs> you see him just running along the train and his legs are just moving so fast but it looks so fake you know what i mean yeah um so you know for what it was that was the special effects that were going but then you go at something like jaws which was super practical you know what i mean in the way they did their special effects with the shark the animatronics and it's a big difference and it, it was a huge difference in movies. I mean, if you go back and watch Jaws, you can watch it now, and it it doesn't really hold up the test of time, but it's still uh, an entertaining watch, whereas mm. I don't know that Superman was entertaining. I don't know that I'd watch it again. Um, yeah, I mean, to be fair, you know, we're a little behind on this episode. I had rewatched it a couple of weeks ago, and then scheduling conflicts got us here, so I had to do another rewatch just because, it, you know, the movie didn't feel – super memorable like a, it's not a rewatchable film in that regard um but let me jump into it a little bit getting ahead of ourselves here uh this movie the budget 55 million dollars right which is pretty high for yeah, that time right? 55 million and and we're talking special effects and everything like that so i'm wondering where a lot of that money went into uh, i mean they tried to do some some of those special effects it looked like they yeah they tried to be up to date but what they were trying to do just it didn't match what you can see nowadays either. I mean, that's a great point. Like the whole, like the whole opening, right? When Jorah L is kind of banishing Zod and his 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 rebel his rebellion uh, off into this like dimensional prison, right? Like yeah. right now, for the time, it looks kind of like corny. But for that time, like that's pretty cool. They got these guys like flipping, you know, over in this like square. I don't even know what you would call it, you know. I mean, uh, but, but I, I don't know. A, a prism, <laughs> yeah, a, yeah, yeah. And, and what's funny about that is, is when we're talking about remembering this movie, I was waiting for like, all right, cool. When is Zod and them gonna like break free and then Superman get into action? But that's not till Superman two. And, and that's where I was getting at. That's the memory I have of Superman is when he's fighting them. So apparently my first impression was not even of this movie. It's it like you right. said, Superman <laughs> right. 2. Um, so I, I'm actually curious to watch Superman 2. I'm actually interested in watching it and trying to right. keep, see how long I can go with the series. Um, I, I wonder if we just like kind of blended the two movies together, which, you know, we can get into a little later. But, you know, maybe that was a smarter move. Like this is a long movie. This is a, yeah. a full, strong two hour movie that is, is kind of paced slow at times. But um, as we go into it a little bit further, uh, this was directed by Richard Donner. Rest in peace. He just passed away, I believe, uh, about two or three months ago. Uh, and he had a lot of great work. He did a lot of TV work well before our time, like The Twilight Zone, Gilligan's Island. Perry Mason, shout out to my stepdad, Gil. That's like his favorite show. Anytime I go to visit, Perry Mason is on. Man, I grew um, up on Gilligan's Island with my grandpa. I loved it. You're right. <laughs> who, who did you identify with on Gilligan's Island? Definitely Gilligan, for sure. Gilligan, though? I, I, yeah. <laughs> that was your yeah. boy. Yeah, I was always undersized. Yeah, that, that was always on, like, after school, right? <laughs> yeah, it was yeah. on all day long, uh, to for be sure. honest. That, it was like Lucy back in the day. How about the Twilight Zone? Did you do that one? 
Uh, no, I was a big chicken. Uh, I, I don't even Amityville horror. I don't really do horror movies. Um, oh, I'm not really? a fan. Uh, I try to stay away from them. But um, Twilight Zone. I remember seeing a few episodes here and there, and and no, it was too much right. for me. Yeah, he, he, Twilight Zone has some great classic episodes um, that is like in the cultural zeitgeist, whether we know it or not. The Simpsons Treehouse of Horror did a couple uh, <laughs> ripoffs of the Twilight Zone or homages, I should say. Um, but Richard Donner also did uh, film wise. He did the film The Omen, speaking of scary movies you're not interested in. <laughs> uh, Superman one and two, Lady Hawk, the Lethal Weapon franchise. He did The Goonies and Scrooged. Um, and like I said, he actually passed away July 5th uh, of this year. Some good movies there. So I'm, I'm a little ashamed that I didn't know, but I'm a fan of him then because he's directed quite a few movies and franchises that I've been a part of. I, I dig, you know, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, The Goonies is a classic. It was, it was actually filmed up here in Oregon where I'm living right now, and I got to go check out uh the coast uh and see some of the spots so it's it's cool to know like the same i didn't i wasn't too familiar about those specific movies being tied to richard donner but obviously a great director um who's, who's now left us and he made superman uh as far as the other details of this film you know superman is was originally created by jerry siegel and joe schuster for you know the what was it 1934 action comic uh, Superman that came out. Uh, so they created the, the character of Superman. And then some of the other people in this movie, uh, the lead man, Christopher Reeves, as as uh, Superman, Margot Kidder, as Lois Lane, Marlon Brando, which I didn't realize Marlon Brando was in this until yeah, I rewatched I it, right? Yeah. Like, I completely slipped my mind. Some interesting facts about him we'll, we'll touch on a little later. Uh, Gene Hackman, who we mentioned as Lex Luthor, uh, Ned Beatty, who we'll we'll talk a little bit about. Actually, we could do that right now. He also um, passed away recently. Um, he's been in some great films uh, that I recommend to you if you haven't seen them. Uh, my favorite that comes to mind is Network. Have you seen Network? No, I haven't. No. Is that the Facebook uh, put, one? No. <laughs> no, no, no. That was Social Network. Uh, much older than that. Uh, Network came out. Uh, I believe also in the 70s, if I'm not mistaken, I can look it up right now. But um, it's honestly just a great movie about like the media and the news and um, just kind of the the information that's fed to us is for a reason is to keep us kind of numb to different type of things. And network from my knowledge is one of the first films that like hits that head on and Ned Beatty kind of plays like this. The, the mysterious man behind the network that's really kind of running it and understands the the economic side of it all. But nonetheless, he was also in a you know Oscar film, Deliverance. If you haven't seen that, man, that's a you, you'll like that one. That's a pretty dark. Oh, <laughs> it's I pretty like dark. You've seen that one, then? Yeah, oh, okay. yeah that one's rough. <laughs> uh, he, yeah, it's rough for him in that one uh, for sure. He, he was also in um, an older Captain America film. He was Sam Kolowitz. He was more recently in Shooter, Baggage Claim, uh, which was his final film in 2013. Um, so rest in peace to Ned, who played Otis in this film. And then our degree of separation, Valerie Perrine. Um, but before we jump into her, 
you know, this movie, like we said, we our memory of it is definitely different. I think the nostalgia of the music and just Superman, the entity, really is a lot stronger than the film itself. Like, the movie's has maybe the longest and slowest opening credits that I, <laughs> that I remember watching. Yeah. Um, I think it was Christopher you... Reeves, to be honest. Like that's, that's all I really remember from it. Um, I don't mm. even really remember that it was Gene Hackman was Lex Luthor. Um, oh really? Huh? I do like him as Lex Luthor, although I mm. feel like they should have done more with that. Uh, but I, I liked him as Le- Lex Luthor. I think he could be that, you know, super eccentric genius living in a sewer. Uh, you know, so I, I, I really dug him as that villain. Um, but, yeah, I agree. I, yeah. He's, he's my Lex Luthor, you know, as far as like all the other renditions that have come since, I think of Gene Hackman. And again, probably more so from Superman too. Um, but, you know, it's interesting how they kind of introduced the world of Krypton right off the bat, right? Like, it's introduced by being incredibly close to the sun. So essentially like Krypton is dying, ridiculous clothing. They wear, there's a rebellion, there's insurrection, everything's burning. Sound familiar? Uh, (laughs) But you know, it's really interesting, you know, that's obviously in the comic, but that kind of idea of this world is ending. We need to save our bloodline um, is how this movie kicks off. And they send little, uh, little Kal-El. Clark Kent, well, Kal-El, who yeah. becomes Clark Kent, uh, off to Earth, and he ends up in Smallville, Kansas. What a lucky place. A lot of people that look like him. <laughs> in Kansas, yeah, he looks so. exactly like him. You know, corn-fed white boy, all about it. You know? Um, <laughs> he, he lucked out there. And it's strange how they, you know, they're, how they portrayed the time difference. You know, he leaves as a baby and arrives in Smallville. He gets out of his ship and he's like a seven-year-old boy. They kind of just leave it up to us to interpret that, like, time has passed. Like, there's no real kind of, like, montage or, you know what. I guess that didn't come till the 80s, (laughs) more so. Um, But, yeah, I found that interesting. And there's a few other times that, like, they mess with time in a very nonchalant way that I think I've been so conditioned to expect an explanation or, like, some kind of uh thread to connect that maybe for just as long as the movie was and for how slow it was like give me those details then you know exactly exactly if you're gonna have a movie with that much time you utilize it well um but we see his first the first sign of superman's powers is when he he lifts up the truck as like a kid and you know his the the folks that that found him jonathan and martha can't pretty much are like well We'll adopt him. We'll take him <laughs> by that time. Yeah. Well, I guess we can't report him, huh? Because we can't call anybody for him. Right. Right. So they so they take him on. Um, it was interesting watching the scene where he's like high school Clark. He's at the football field and he's essentially the water boy for the team. And then when he gets bullied, he gets picked on, you know, to pick up the mess. Hey, go stack these helmets or equipment or whatever it was. And then when no one's looking, he kicks this football like out of orbit. And I'm thinking how much inspiration came to Adam Sandler from this movie for yeah. Waterboy. Yeah, uh, for sure. I mean, Adam Sandler had to have taken some, some things from things he's watched <laughs> in, in his growing up and his past. So for sure, he took some from that. 
I mean, it's like, what if, what if somebody saw Clark kick that football and this movie just turned on its head and it's now about this, you know, <laughs> all American football player that, you know, wins overcame all the stuff. odds. And yeah, yeah, right. He's different. Um, Lex Luthor is on the rival football team or something. Different the movie. Rival different quarterbacks. Movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess we got the replacements out of that a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we talked, we touched on like him kind of, us kind of getting a hint of all his powers, right? When he's running along the train and it, it looks a little funny. Uh, interesting fact that the kid who played your young Clark, um, almost got hit by a train in filming this scene. Uh, he was trying to do the shot where it looks like he just gets across. I, I, I'm not, I don't know if he wasn't paying attention or what happened, but apparently one of the people on set grabbed him out of the way right at the last second. So, uh, this movie could have had a real bad, rough start if, if you know, that didn't go differently. Um, but yeah, in the in in this movie, it's it, there's just a lot of things that kind of happen without explanation. And I kept thinking to myself, like, did I miss something? And maybe I did, and you can tell me. But for example, you know, he he has this conversation with Jonathan Clark about like who he is and his powers and and what that means. And then he's like challenges them to a race back to the farm. And then, you know, Jonathan Ken ends up having a heart attack, heart attack and dying. Right. And from there, he talks with his mom and ends up just taking off and ends up in like the Arctic or what I assume to be the Arctic with his. His fortress of solitude, right? Right. So he, yeah. So he, and explain this to me. He has the kryptonite which powered his ship and has all these answers, right? <laughs> Why is it not weakening him when he's holding it and putting it in the rods? And yeah, I know there were some holes in the story, but I'm like, wait a minute. Um, that without explanation, just Lex Luthor just magically knows that this meteor came from Krypton and that it was mm. essentially kryptonite and that it was his weakness. Where did he read that? Where, what, yeah. what encyclopedia had that knowledge for him? And why? And and again, I wish you know if if any if our listener knows why the kryptonite didn't hurt him prior to Lex Luthor having it. Like I must have missed it. And then, like, how how did Clark know to like throw the kryptonite just into the water and it would build this? Like, was that just was he tired of holding it? I don't know. <laughs> just a lot of gaps there. A lot of gaps. There were a lot of gaps, and I think. It, it wasn't so bad for the special effects. I think they get accentuated when there's gaps in the storyline with that, you know? Um, mm-hmm. You would probably buy the special effects like, hey, that was the best they could do for the time. Um, but the gaps and the, the holes in the theory and, and the whole storyline just, it, it kills it. Um, and that's really what throws, threw me off. Yeah, 100%. And and again, I kept thinking to myself, because now at this point, we're so conditioned with the story of Superman and like, what his weakness is, what he's capable of doing his backstory, like, that's just ingrained in our in the in the zeitgeist of, of culture. So it's like, when this would happen, I, I literally had to rewind it and check did I miss that? Am I missing something Did I miss something where the kryptonite doesn't hurt him? And now it does. Like, I feel that whole thing just wasn't explained. And it's so important to the, to the story of, of Superman. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you don't want Superman showing up as Clark Kent and he's supposed to be flying around. 
Like it just doesn't yeah. fit the storyline, you know. Like he's when he's flying around, he's Superman. When he's it, a reporter, he's Clark Kent. You wouldn't want it the other way around. And then all of a sudden, the next scene, you know, he's Superman. Uh, in I in wonder. The Google. I I wonder how much of this movie was made like with a little tongue in cheek, right? Like they like how much did Donner know? Like okay, I'm making a comic movie. Let's have some fun with it. Because for example, what I think of is like you know, uh, Clark falls out of a window towards the end, like to save kind of the main climax. And when he comes out of the window, he just transforms into super, like his clothes just change into Superman. And it's like, you've got like the, the movies we just mentioned that Don, like that Donner's done, like he's done good films. So, so there must've been a little bit of like, we can't take ourselves too seriously. Right. You know what I mean? Definitely. That's the only explanation I, mean, it, I have. In some of the cartoons and comics, like he, ne- he always went into a phone booth, mm. and then would change and come out Superman. You know, um, so uh, where was that at? Uh, why yeah. is he falling out of a window, and then all of a sudden it's just you know a cutaway, and now he's Superman. Um, so it's kind of yeah. weird. Um, they could have done more to to, I guess, keep you entertained and keep you wanting to sit there and watch more of it. Because halfway sure. through, I I caught myself thinking like. Man, I would walk out if I paid for this. Did did you did you watch? So when you rewatched this, did you watch it with anyone, or did you, I mean, your family, or did you do it solo? No, I did it solo. Um, I think my fourteen year old walked in at one point and looked at it and was like, "What's this? Oh, that's cool. I guess <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I guess that makes sense." And then sure. just kind of walked away. Like it didn't hold his attention at all. Um, but mind you, he watches all the DC comics and. All right. the Batman versus Supermans and stuff like that. Um, right. And even though he thinks they're no no good, I agree with them. He still will sit and watch it anytime it's on. So right, right, it, it catches him. He's stuck to those. But this Superman did not hold his attention at all. It's interesting because um, I watched with my my partner and her daughter, who is five years old. And I like as an observer, I was really curious to see: is this okay? Is this film? going to hold the attention of a five-year-old girl, right? And she's she's super – the kids these days are super smart. <laughs> you know, like you give them a phone, they know how to use it. You give them an iPad, they, like just super uh, on top of it. And interestingly enough, she made it through the whole movie. You know, there were, there were times where like attention was elsewhere or whatnot, but like the, the reveal of like Clark Kent turning into Superman was like a shock to her. It's like, oh, that's Superman? Clark Kent is super, like, just to see that moment, it's kind of like, okay, maybe that was us when we were five, you know, like, just that kind of aura of this, this, this mythical creature, and we're seeing the origin story, you know? Yeah, and, and maybe that's a part of that tongue-in-cheek you're talking about, is his audience, he knew it wasn't going to be, you know, uh, old adults, it was going to be kids hey. and their parents, and that's it. And we're still battling with that because think of it, the the comics came out in 34. So the kids of the thirties are now, you know, most likely possibly grandparents to the people seeing this film. And that's just another generation. And then you move forward to, you know, uh, the Smallville TV show or Man of Steel that came out uh, more recent. I say more recently, but that was probably over a decade ago now. Um, but but or even with the Star Wars movies, right? We say, oh, this is too childish, or this is too. But it's 
for me being a Star Wars fan, it's hard to admit it, but it, ultimately it's just the next rendition for the next generation, you know? And, and I think you see that a lot in this, in Superman who kind of started it all. For sure. Uh, I mean, that was the start of really comic book movies. If, if, if I'm not mm. mistaken, I think Superman was mm-hmm. probably the, one of the first. It was Batman came out in the eighties, right? Uh, so, well, there, I mean, there was, there was smaller budgeted films that came out. Like for example, um, the first Superman like film was in 1951. Uh, Superman and the more, Su- excuse me, Superman and the Mole Men, uh, and that was with George Reeves uh, starring as Superman. So the, it, it's it's been there, but I would argue like what Hollywood became like that this era in the 70s. I think film really started to transform, seeing how much money could really be made with them. Um, so yeah, th- there's been others, but. I think ultimately, again, for our generation and even generation before us, yeah, that that was the first. You know, that's what introduced us. One thing I realized watching this also, if we could touch on our our previous degree of separation, Margot Kidder as Lois Lane. Um, Lois, not the ideal match. (laughs) Like, she's just making poor decisions. They're getting mugged. And she tries to be a hero and kick this guy totally botches it and the guy shoots clark kent and he catches it right (laughs) and and he catches the bullet unbeknownst to her but realistically she just killed this guy (laughs) she just killed this guy right but i mean that's kind of the the continual theme of superman and lois lane uh so the acting i I did enjoy um Mm. and as far as both of them because it was kind of corny but it, it looked like it fit you know um but Margot and her character of Lois, maybe it goes back to the lack of explanation. Um, she's just a reporter that gets any case she wants and can go and come as she pleases. And um, I think she even has like an assistant that's walking around the, the office kind of and on top of it. Like, hey, maybe where's Clark Kent at? You know, why is Clark gone every time Superman's here? Like, he's the one catching on to it, and, you know, they just dust him aside. So right. I, I don't know if it was just the lack of explanation in the entire plot line that they just kind of throw Lois Lane that she's just this gung-ho reporter that gets whatever she wants and is it all the wrong places at all the wrong times, but somehow it works out for her. Somehow Superman yeah. is the somehow that, that shows up. It's so funny. Uh, towards the end, you know, Lex gets these these missiles to shoot and his whole goal is to cause massive earthquakes that make the ocean come on the land and he can open up his new real estate and dude it's quite funny to see like this kind of evil genius be so relative to our current times like people listen if half of the west coast went underwater right now you can bet there's people looking to like find money in that and how to like come up real quick Oh yeah! All of a sudden, you know, Victorville is a beachside paradise. Like you're <laughs> you know, jumping right? on that. Yeah, you're jumping on that he, property. He's a man ahead of his time as far and, as uh, evil villains go. And it's funny, yeah. It it was ingenious. I'm like, man, that would work. Like, why wouldn't it? And then the special effects, you know, destroy all sense of reality with it. Um, where you know, Superman just goes back in into the core and. You know, yeah. patches, yeah. patches <laughs> yeah. the San Andreas fault, you know, and yeah. and all of a sudden the, 
everything just reverses. Everything that collapsed just reversed and was magically up again. Yeah, it was funny. Um, well, I mean that that I mean that's the at the end of the film. Ultimately, he's kind of saves the day at the end, right? So like everything's the earthquake is happening. He's going is like you said, patching up the land from inside the core of the earth. Uh, he saves a school bus that's on the Golden Gate Bridge. Um, he saves Jimmy, who's also from the Daily Planet, who's about to fall off the dam. The dam breaks up, but he's able to clog it. But what happens is Lois Lane runs out of gas. And all these rocks come and bury her car and bury her and ultimately kills her. (laughs) So Lois Lane is dead. Superman finds her dead. And in his like anger and rage decides to like, leave the planet and fly the opposite direction of the orbit of the earth, (laughs) (laughs) which, uh, which leads us to believe we're going back in time. I'm pretty sure he just ended all life on the planet. If that really like, where's Neil deGrasse Tyson? Where's Neil? (laughs) Yeah. um, And I think that's a part of it. It's just holes, you know, like that's obviously um, they could have done more with the script with the screenwriting but uh, again would it hold a five-year-old's attention and it did so uh, i mean apparently <laughs> and you know what i think it is too and i and i'm, and I'm i was self-reflecting when i was watching this i'm like okay what does work in this movie right you have the iconic character already so you're, you're bought in with just the myth of, of of superman but what i think it is it is the genius of john williams who composed this film, who composed Jaws, Jurassic Park, E.T., Indiana Jones, Star Wars. I mean, the li- he created the soundtrack of our youth and Hollywood, Yeah, even before our time. And I think if you listen to the music, he hits the right notes. When you want to get excited, you hear that Superman theme, and it kind of lifts you up. You know, it's very heroic. And I think that's one of the things that, like, gives this movie some staying power. I mean, you go to IMDb, it gets a 7.3 out of 10, which is pretty good for, for a movie on IMDb. Um, so it's just really interesting now that we've watched it to kind of see our thoughts and how it's aged and how engaging it was. For sure. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. The music is what holds it up. Um, yeah. Because you, ha- you already have the character, but the movie can still flop and it didn't. And I think, because of the music, it kept you into it. It kept your emotions invested, even though the storyline and the plot did not. Well, on to our degree of separation focus real quick. Um, Valerie Perrine, um, I wasn't too familiar with her. Um, obviously, I, I, I'd seen some of her work. Um, she actually was uh, an actress and model. Um, she won a... Academy Award nomination for Best Actress in the film Lenny. Um, and then, as we know, she was in Superman, The Electric Horseman, Superman 2. And then she's also uh, in the next movie we'll be doing What a Woman Wants, um, a much a much smaller role. But in this movie, she actually played uh, Lex Luthor's girlfriend or mistress or, I don't know, I guess it's not necessarily ever specifically <laughs> defined. Yeah. Um, Miss Tesmacher. And um, 
she, she it's interesting she's pretty much plays the, the the woman role who isn't fully evil but is mixed up with this this guy and is going along with it and at the end is the one that saves superman right like yeah, lex superman puts dying, on this right? yeah yeah lex put on this you know this big old kryptonite necklace on superman which again i have more problems with because he puts it on him he gets thrown into the water and we're led to believe he has no power and he's just drowning right but then he has time to like <laughs> kind of like paddle up to the top of the water and like plead with her to save him and she's like only if you save my mother first <laughs> he's like okay no problem yeah and she gets him out of the water sexually assaults him like makes out with superman while he's unconscious and then they even call it out he's like why did you do that why why did you do that before i woke up and she's like well i didn't think you would let me it's like, whoa, that's definitely on our no-fly zone that we'll hit up later. Um, but yeah, I, I wasn't too familiar with, with a lot of her work, but she actually was in a softcore porn. Um, uh, she was an actress known as Montana Wildhack in a film called Slaughterhouse Five, 1972. I don't know if it's up to your speed, but if you want to do the research on that, I'll leave you to it. Um, but she was also, you know, in a... Uh, 1972 May issue of Playboy. Um, so she'd done some work modeling, as I mentioned before, she really got her opportunity to work inside of Hollywood. Um, but I think she really got her big, big opportunity with Fields and Me, which is 1976. You know, Lenny is the one that really put her on, on the scene, getting her the Academy Award nomination. Um, but it's always those follow-up movies that lit, lend to the 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 star power that she would have um played with robert redford like i said in the electric horseman um and you know with her she was uh an army brat if you will her dad was a lieutenant colonel in the u.s army um and her mother was let's see of irish descent um so you know she has a very long list of different movies on her IMDb page. Um, not many that I've seen. Uh, but what do you think of her role with Superman? Do, I mean, again, she was Lex's uh, partner there. I, I don't think I think she did fine personally. I it, it was kind of a smaller role. It, it was a smaller role, but it's very important. I mean, that's like you said, she's the only reason why Superman survives and ends up saving the whole day um yeah so even though it's a small role and she was portrayed the whole time with like you know little one-liners um she was pretty much just a sex symbol of just lex is not is only physically attracted to her definitely not mentally she's not but is he but is he even like physically attracted like he doesn't really pay her any attention she's almost there just as like uh, a voyeur to this like evil plot like he needs someone there to like pat him on the back for this evil accomplishment he's about to unlay, right? And he has Otis, Ned Beatty, but he's kind of the the bumbling buffoon, yeah, if you will. Yeah, he's their yes man for sure, but um, he's not competent, so she fills that role, um, right? And they do touch that she's just, I, they definitely accentuate that she's a model. Um, sure, you know, right. everything that she's doing, it's it, there's sex appeal with it, and 
like you t- touched on when she saves Superman, you know, she makes out with him right before he, you know, while he's unconscious. And then it's just, oh, I didn't think you'd, you'd let me like, so it, it, I don't know if that stuff will stand the test of time. Um, I'm sure <laughs> right. if it was played on, on, you know, Disney or something like that, they'd put some kind of disclaimer. Before. Like a warning. Yeah. Sure. Um, but her role was small, but huge, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, if she's not there. Superman in theory dies, right? I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to. And he's not off the hook either. Like I said, the, the, when he pulls Lois Lane out of the car and she's she's actually dead. She's not unconscious. He's dead. Makes out with her. Uh, you know, sign of the times, I suppose, unfortunately. Um, let's jump into some fun facts uh, about this film. Uh, Christopher Reeves actually worked with bodybuilding superstar and Star Wars legend David Prowse. You know, are you familiar with David Prowse? No, I'm not. So David Prowse is actually the man inside of the Darth Vader suit. So when they filmed Star Wars, he was, we see his physical body. Um, if you've ever seen a clockwork orange, he's also in that one. He's the big kind of bodybuilder in, in, in that film. But uh, Christopher Reeves worked with him to build up muscle and and, and get that kind of Superman frame. Um, interesting fact, also, if you look closely, Clark Kent and Superman's hair part on the opposite sides, you know, so to help to, to help hide Another his identity. Continuity issue, yeah. No, no, no. I think it's on purpose, right? Like Clark Kent, it, you know, has his hair this way, Superman the other way to throw it, yeah. throw people off, yeah. Um, let's see. To achieve the shot of young Clark Kent cooking that kicking that football into orbit, they used the air cannon and placed it underground from and the football fired from the ground out of this air cannon. So that's how they got that shot. Um now so interesting. We touched on Marlon Brando, right? And it's so weird how six degrees of separation, kind of how everything's connected. Um, I actually watched uh, Val Kilmer documentary on Hulu, which quick plug for that. If you're interested in Val Kilmer or like just a good story about someone pretty I added good it to my list recently, I saw it. And check like, check it out. Check it. it out. Um, But he worked on a film with Marlon Brando and he idolized Marlon Brando. But interestingly enough, some of the research that I got is he was quite difficult to work with. Um, So Marlon Brando was paid $3.7 million plus a percentage of the gross for the 12 days of shooting. The payment also covered the sequel, which was shot at the same time. And maybe that's why we feel it's the same movie. They shot it at the same time. That's interesting. Uh, so Brando did not appear in the sequel because he sued Ela Salkin, claiming that Salkin had not paid him his percentage of the profits, one of the producers. And he ultimately received about $14 million for 10 minutes of screen time. million for 10 million. Right. And his salary made him the highest paid movie star in the world at that time. On his first day on set, Marlon Brando suggested to Richard Donner that the camera roll during rehearsal. Brando reportedly said, who knows? We might get lucky. According to Donner, that very first take was the one that was used in the finished film. Brando was notoriously lazy and was constantly pulling little stunts like this to lessen his workload. Christopher Reeves even complained about it in interviews, saying Brando was phoning it in and it shows. You want some more Brando news? 
Marlon Brando refused to memorize most of his lines in advance. In the scene where he puts infant Kal-El into the escape pod, he was actually reading his lines from the diaper of the baby. <laughs> he, <laughs> he told director Richard uh, Donner that the only way to keep his performance fresh was to not over-rehearse. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, Sounds like a prima donna for sure. You want you one, one? I got one other one other one for you here. Carrie Ells, you know Carrie Ells, Robin Hood, Men in Tights, Saw, Princess oh, Bride, yeah, absolutely, right? Carrie Ells worked as a production assistant on this movie, whose job it was to bring Mar- Marlon Brando out of his trailer every day. Brando was paid a million dollar a day in overages had little incentive to leave his trailer. And according to Ells in an interview, he said that Brando refused to call Ells by his given name. Instead, he referred to the teenager Carrie Ells as Rocky. So he just <laughs> wouldn't call him by his name. He'd just call him Rocky to go get his shit. Um, another fun fact, speaking of Rocky, after the success of Rocky in 1976, Sylvester Stallone lobbied hard to play Clark Kent but he was ultimately turned down as he was deemed, I didn't say this, this is in the quote, quote, too Italian. (laughs) Stallone found out that Marlon Brando, who had casting approval, turned him down for the role, just as he had allegedly vetoed Burt Reynolds' casting as Sonny in The Godfather. So it's so interesting that, like, Brando is kind of like this idol for a lot of actors, and is like the the definition of don't meet your heroes. You yeah. know what I mean? For sure, uh, he's uh, the Barry Bonds. You know, he's hated. Yeah. By I mean, he's the Godfather in it, but <laughs> yeah, he's Godfather. <laughs> uh, let's see. Gene Hackman was initially reluctant to take part of Lex Luthor. Uh, he felt it would have damaged his reputation as a serious actor. Yeah, and also in the initial run of this movie, the film topped the box office charts for 13 consecutive weeks. Wow, so at the time, it was considered a really good movie. Yeah, I mean, 13 weeks is a long time. Like, that's word of mouth. That's like, hey, did you see the Superman? You know, like... No, I'm going this weekend. Yeah. Like, we're still adjusting to the way movie experiences now right like with covid and everything happening and all the streaming that's available to us you know some movies have a much deeper impact in theater and i don't know maybe that has something to do with it getting to watch it in theater around other you know superman fans um you know they're making bad comic book movies now but if fans are together you know they'll, they'll celebrate it so on to our categories First category. Uh, I think I know the answer here. I brought, I brought up a couple quotes, but is this a potent quotable? Is this a movie that you can quote uh, pretty regularly? I would say no. Um, I, I didn't even remember one scene from the movie correctly, so uh, I would say no, it's not a potent <laughs> quotable. Um, yeah. I mean, Gene Hackman probably had some of the best lines, but no, it wasn't a potent quotable at all. Yeah, just to throw a couple lines from the movie out that I, I that caught my attention. You mentioned Lex Luthor. He's talking to Miss Tetchmatcher. The United States government, we are about to be involved in the greatest real estate swindle of all time. Lex, what is this obsession with real estate? All the time, land, land, land. Miss Tetchmatcher, when I was six years old, my father said to me... Get out. <laughs> Before that, he said, son, 
Stocks may rise and fall. Utilities and transportation systems may collapse. People are no damn good. But they will always need land, and they'll pay through the nose to get it. Remember my father said, land. Pretty relative, I think. Still accurate. Hot take, good take from uh, from Lex there. Miss um, Tetchmatch, ah, excuse me, Tetchmatcher uh, says it's too good to be true. He's six four, has black hair, blue eyes, doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, and tells the truth. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> what that says. Good old um, sexism at its finest. Yeah, yeah, or, or objectifying to say the least. Uh, young Clark Kent says all those things I can do, all those powers, and I couldn't even save him, the him being his dad. And that's what motivates him to go back in time to save Lois. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not a potent quotable. There's, there's not, there's not too many quotes that stick out in this film. Uh, the no fly zone scenes are things that would not take place in today's climate. Um, I think it's just what we touched on, right? Is <laughs> be, uh, making out with someone while they're unconscious and it kind of just being like acceptable. Why did you kiss me first? It, I didn't think you'd let me later. Thank you, Miss Nesmucker. Why is it I can't get it on with the good guys? Stand aside now. I wouldn't stay here either. Definitely something that I think like when I watched it, it caught my attention as like, whoa, like <laughs> she's really going for it, you know? Yeah, the whole objectifying of uh, you know, Lex Luthor's girlfriend, model, lady friend. Sure. Uh that that stuff kinda of doesn't fly anymore. Um Yeah, no, I, I don't think it, it stands the test of time. I think there's a lot of stuff in there that uh wouldn't fly fly in in today's society. No fly zone for sure. No, no pun intended. Being that Superman can fly, but uh, did did you have an oh shit moment of this movie? What was your oh shit moment? No, to be honest. I yeah, mean, right. <laughs> it, it was all kind of corny and unexpected, but thrown at your face. So uh, it didn't really have an oh shit moment. It had a couple um, climactic moments, and then they kind mm-hmm. of flopped. Where the music brought it up, and you were ready for this big climax, and then. It was nothing, you know, it's Superman floating to the top of the water, pretending that this, you know, styrofoam chain is 50 (laughs) pounds and, you know, he's Superman. All of a sudden he can't lift it. So they're, no. (laughs) Flava Flav might still have that necklace. That looks like his his type of necklace there. Um, I didn't have an ship moment myself. I I mean, I, I, I try to find one for the sake of, our conversation and i think like when the missiles go off and you start seeing the devastation and you see like the golden gate bridge shaking and like that's a bit of an oh shit moment like you know back to the effects that they were using i thought that it was relatively good like showing all of that right 
I actually like that part of the storyline. You know, uh, Lex Luthor's whole plot. Uh, I I do think it's brilliant. Like, and it came why so didn't late. I think of that before. You know, why didn't somebody already <laughs> blow up San Andreas Fault? And you know, now all right. of a sudden, Arizona is the new California and prime real estate. Um, Great. Now you got the FBI listening in on us. Thank you. Perfect. Hey, we need for mastermind over here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll get some more listeners that way. Most wanted list. Um, But yeah, I thought I thought them doing like the dam breaking and the rocks falling and all that. Like, granted, you could tell some of it was definitely model use of like houses being flooded. But I I, I thought that was my oh shit moment. Underrated character. Anyone that you would have liked to have seen more, you know maybe stuck out more this time around i mean no and to be honest they never really do but the the only one that would would be more kalel's mom um you mm. know it, mm. you don't get her aspect really it's more you know again more towards the sexism where she's just leaning on on you know superman's dad to Jor-El. make the decision yeah. and save the day or decide what's going to happen to their son and she just kind of like, okay, like I guess you're sending our son away. She's just kind of there as like a soundboard to, to bounce yeah, off his yeah. ideas, and yeah, that's a good pick. That's a good pick. I mean, she, I, I mean, she was so uh, she utilized so 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 um, little that I completely <laughs> forgot about thinking about her. But uh, who I picked was Perry White, who is the editor at the Daily Planet. You know, kind of the Jonah Jameson before yeah, Jonah that, Jameson. That, that's the one thing know? I was going to think of before Jonah Jameson, but that's kind of what you think of when you see a reporter. You want that Jonah Jameson. Tony, who is Mike? What's his name? What's he got hidden under that cape of his? Batteries? Why did he show up last night? Dick, where does he come from? Does he have a girlfriend? What's his favorite ball team, Kent? Now listen to me. I tell you, boys and girls... Whichever one of you gets it out of it is going to wind up with the single most important interview since God talked to Moses. What are you standing around about for? Move! That's it. I mean, he, he kind of set the mold for that kind of newspaper editor and yelling at everyone, high high action, high pace kind of thinker and talker and... Um, you know he's a fan of he's a fan of Clark Kent when he comes in he treats him relatively good but uh, well, yeah, not he's so six, much to Jimmy six two black hair blue eyes yeah sure 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 six four six yeah, four six four sorry even even better yeah uh, any hot takes about this film and I don't think saying this is a bad film is necessarily a hot take but go ahead <laughs> uh, no uh, I mean I guess so saying that it was not a good film. Um, Christopher Reeves and the acting there, uh, I, I think, were, was pretty good. Um, that's what I remember. Out of everything, uh, what I took away was Christopher Reeves. And I don't know if it's because of the legend mm. behind Christopher mm. Reeves and then knowing, you know, that he fell off a horse and broke his neck and was paralyzed right, and right. eventually died from that. Like, that, that yeah. that's huge, you know. Uh, he went from yeah. Superman being this, you know, pretty boy, perfect, you know, specimen that they put in as Superman. And eventually, you know, falling off a horse and, and becoming a paraplegic like that. That's pretty yeah. intense. So I don't know if it was the the stigma around him that I remembered watching now. Um, mm. But I think that stood out the most was like, OK, the Christopher Reeves and the acting for being corny and lame was still pretty good. 
Well, I don't think that's well. I don't know if that answers the hot take question, but you definitely set me up to get a bunch of uh, hate mail from our listener. Uh, Because my hot take is actually that Christopher Reeves was miscast. Hear me out. You think of this time, all the actors that are out there, right? And for Christopher Reeves, you know, all things considered, he was relatively unknown at this time, you know? So for him to get this role, they definitely put in a lot of, uh, you know, expectation that it would work, that it's going to be a home run. And I think, you know, when you take on a role, you like to see kind of the range of a performance. And I feel Clark Kent and Superman are both very like monotoned, right? They're in one speed the whole time. I'd say the first time I see some like acting or some like, uh real emotion is when Lois dies, right? And like he's pissed, he's flying around the planet and it looks like he's crying. Okay. But I mean that's the last 5 minutes of the movie, you know? If if you watch if you tr- if you look at his performance closely, I feel like it's just it's one speed. It's and I get like being the boring kind of like Clark Kent and also Superman. I I don't know. I I I just felt like Christopher Reeves Yes, is Superman, is what I remember Superman looking like. This is Superman. But watching the film and performance, eh, I think I think we could have done better. Oh, sure. Um, as, as far as him being uh, not well-known, I think that's what they've always gone for as far as Superman. Even the Man of Steel with the new one, uh, I, I've never seen that guy before. And But I think he did a pretty good job, and I think he was cast pretty well for Man of Steel. Like, he I agree. He did a pretty good job with the new Superman. Um, Smallville, I think they did pretty good with that Superman. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. So, yes, uh, it was miscast. So I don't know that that's such uh, you a You big... just said, don't, hey, you don't got to agree I appreciated with Christopher said... Reeves because of, yeah. like I said, I don't know if it was the stigma around him um, and mm. knowing that years later, you know, he's supposed to be Superman and he fell off a horse and is paralyzed is, is, is tough. So um, I do feel like he was miscast. I think... That was my hot take because it's supposed to be a bad movie, and it, it, it was a bad movie, though. So how can you say it was good acting? Um, but I think it was more in the sense of um, like an Arnold Schwarzenegger type of role where he only has a few lines. He's saying them under his breath, and it's more like his stature and his charisma that's, that's really selling it. You're getting, um, you're getting the Arnold. You're going to get the Arnold hate now. I like that. Yeah, Arnold know. into this. Hey. Okay. We gotta we gotta pull okay. in as many viewers and listeners as possible. <laughs> um, how about a favorite scene? I know you said there weren't many lines that are memorable, but is there a specific scene that you're like, all right, I could I could rock with that? No, my favorite scene <laughs> uh, had me laughing because it was like the corkscrew where Superman's trying to corkscrew through uh, like the tunnel down into uh, the sewer oh, sure. to get to yeah. Lex Luthor. Um, and I was just like, this is so corny and ridiculous. Uh, it had me laughing. So that was my favorite scene. Yeah. I, sure. That must have been the part of the movie when you text me like, this movie is so bad. <laughs> <laughs> it was probably around then, that part. Yeah. Um, I kind of touched on my favorite scene. I, I, I'll give the climax my favorite scene as far as like the missile strikes, everything's getting destroyed. Um, pretty much everything leading up to Lois getting buried by the rocks like even the picture 
or the scene of like dirt getting in her mouth and she's like dying. I was kind of like, all right, like shit, like Donner's going there. You know, oh, it was like, some method acting for life. sure. Like she, he was, yeah, yeah she, they were throwing dirt in her face. <laughs> she was in there. She was in there. Um, but then you know, Superman saves her and flies backwards. Like, I, I yeah, that, that's my favorite scene. And then I'll just say the whole like ending just really just took me out of it. Like I've been riding with this movie, hoping, you know, it'll, it'll pick up or like that nostalgia will really like take off as to why I thought I liked this movie. But then the ending, I just realized there's no Zod in this one. There's no, like that whole battle. Like I remember that battle with Zod and I guess Superman too, more than anything else. So for this to be the ending, uh, you know, I, I I I think the maybe the justification is like in a Superman cartoon I can see that happening like Superman like I'd probably think it was dope if I was a kid watching a cartoon Lois Lane died Superman's turning the earth like that's a big comic thing but to see it yeah to see it trying to then do it in real time with poor effects like um it wasn't like something you'd see in a current like the flash where he runs around and you could see the earth like legit spinning it, it was yeah. It, yeah i mean it was not tastefully yeah. done 100 <laughs> yeah, percent. uh with that being said next we go on to oscar snubs uh i don't think there's any snubs here funny enough it's report from what i read it was reported that donner was actually really disappointed that he didn't get any or his team didn't get any nominations for like <clears throat> excuse me for like special effects or like set design art direction like they didn't get nominated for that and donner was pissed about it um i think some of the set design wasn't too bad it was more of the effects maybe that that bothered me there were a couple of good effects but who was nominated in those categories right well i mean if you're talking art direction specifically uh in the what was this the 51st academy Awards, so that was for 1979 uh best art direction went to heaven can wait uh i don't know if you've seen that movie um i haven't either but i hear it's good the whiz also came out that year and was nominated um which is like the african-american rendition of the wizard of oz really good movie um let's see best i don't know cinematography also went to or actually, sorry, I didn't also go. Went to Days in Heaven, a different Heaven movie. Um, but as far as, like, Best Picture goes, that year was the year Deer Hunter won. Um, also nominated was Coming Home, Heaven Can Wait, Midnight Express. Have you seen Midnight Express? I have not. I, I have a confession. I haven't seen Midnight Express, but I'm familiar with it because of Cable Guy. When Jim <laughs> Carrey does the whole, like, chest on the prison window. And he he breaks down that it's from Midnight Express. So ever since then, I've got a, I've, I've had it on my list. Uh, let's see, let's see what else. Best actor John Voight won for Coming Home. Warren Beatty was nominated for Heaven Can Wait. Gary Busey for the Buddy, uh, for the Buddy Holly story. Uh, Robert De Niro in The Deer Hunter, and Lawrence Olivier in The Boys from Brazil. Actress went to Jane Fonda, Coming Home. Um, Ingrid Bergman, Autumn Santana, Ellen Burstyn, same time next year, Jill Kleber, an unmarried woman, and Geraldine Page in Interiors. Yeah, a lot of these movies I'm not familiar with, clearly before our time, but uh, yeah, it's clear to say no snubs for Superman. Maybe composing, soundtrack, 
Maybe. Yeah, we'll I, I would have maybe liked it to see a composing get an award. Uh, let me see. Or Original score. He did get nominated. Our there boy John Williams got nominated. Uh, winner went to Midnight Express. Giorgio Morore. Sorry, I butchered your name, Giorgio. Um, won, won the Oscar there. But yeah, John Williams did get a nomination from, from this one. Superman, closing thoughts. Anything you want to add to this 1978 film? It sounds like you're interested in Superman 2. If this movie did anything, you're going to see... got me to want to watch Superman 2. Yeah, so it's it's a must-see. I think you do have to see it at least once. Um, Just just for, like, historical context of... Yeah, and and you're going to see several more superman movies or batman versus superman that he's gonna be in these it's not the only time you're gonna get a superman movie so to be able to compare um where it started to where it ends and in between uh is is big uh so it is a must see just for uh your own reference um but it's not a very good movie uh you will see it once and maybe not watch it ever again yeah (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's a shame. I, I, I also will will probably watch Superman two at some point just to like get that itch. Like I feel like I have an itch now to watch it just because I watched the first one and I was disappointed I didn't get to see Zod and, and team battle Superman. Um, but let me ask you this: We'll close with this. What is your Mount Rushmore of comic book characters, good or bad, so villain or hero, DC or Marvel or Image or whatever you want? What are, I mean, Mount characters or movies? Because characters, let's let's okay. go characters. Um, I mean, geez, Wolverine and Gambit. Uh, two X Men. Right yeah, off they're, the bat. they're they're top up there. Um, okay, Batman, Superman. That's four. That's to, it. They have to be there. Um, yeah. So, I, I, unless yeah. you're taking who who do you, who's number four on there? Who's on the bubble of your? Four? I mean, I guess I would Gambit? take out Gambit. Yeah. Okay, and who and who's a potential replacement? Jeez, dude. now you're talking about anybody <laughs> from Marvel, like Iron Man. You haven't you, and you haven't even said I a villain. Even... You didn't even throw a villain in there. Man, that's tough. Yes, yeah, Mount Rushmore for comic books. Yeah, it's definitely. Uh, yeah, it's tough. Well, that's your four. That's what came. Those yeah. are the first four that came to mind. Then, yeah, yeah. I, I, I see. Like, I grew up. Team X. Spider Man has to be in there, dude. Spider Man has to. So so take out Gambit. I take out Gambit. Put Spider Man in there. So Wolverine, Spider Man, Batman, Superman. Yeah. I mean that's clean. That's that's two two DC two Marvel. Um. Yeah, I was a big X Men kid growing up. Like that animated show was life. Like me and my cousins would like have the toys and make up our own X Men stories and all that. Like. Definitely loved Wolverine, but I hated that everyone loved Wolverine. So my favorite X Men is probably Nightcrawler. Interesting. Is he on my Mount? Is he on my Mount Rushmore? I don't think. I don't so. think you can put him on a Mount Rushmore. I don't put him there. I think mine goes. You know, I'm going to be left of center here. Spawn from uh, Image I, Comics. I know you know, Spawn. that was a pretty of, good movie. Of... It was super corny with I mean... John Leguizamo as the little town guy. <laughs> yeah. I think that's another one, bro. If you watch it now, you're like, uh, I did. Uh, I watched it a, a few months ago, and I was but it's to still good my, enough. My teenage boys, and they were just like, "This is bad." Oh, they weren't worth it. Huh? Oh, Dude, they were like, "This is like cause... a bad Deadpool." 
And I'm like, oh yeah, I guess Deadpool would have tried. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, John Leguizamo is like brilliant in that film, and supposedly Todd McFarlane, the creator, is uh, working on bringing it to live action again, and he has Jamie Foxx playing Spawn. But I mean, this has been like two years of delays now, so I don't know. I haven't heard the latest on that. But anyways, Spawn's up there. I'm gonna put Deadpool up there. He was the first like comic action figure i remember buying even before i knew who he was i just liked his get up and the swords and whatever yeah i was i dug punisher too i mean geez now that you're talking punisher punisher was cool up too. yeah yeah okay so deadpool spawn, spawn deadpool i think i go magneto okay that's pretty i think fantastic. i go magneto I like and then man i don't know i don't know um I guess Batman. I think I think if I've got to pick like a DC hero, it'd be Batman over Superman. Like I mean, it was Christian po- Bale sold it for me, so he did it forever Batman. Um, I mean, if we're talking based on movies, uh, but you said characters, so that is one of the characters, and that sure. yeah, yeah, was yeah. a, a yeah, yeah, portrayal. Yeah. And to be honest, when you say X Men was your jam, you know, I'm a '90s kid too, and it was x-men and that 90 94 93 i think when it came out batman uh was pretty good yeah. i was on it yeah know? michael keaton and jack nicholson in the first one and then you get danny Michelle devito, Pfeiffer and danny DeVito. Oh, yeah. Yeah. bro talk about <laughs> not phoning it in they went all in for that one man that was great um anyways well that's our superman episode thank you guys for listening uh we are going to be back uh, next week, either with a bonus episode or our next movie and our next degree of separation. Um, Valerie Preen is getting us over to What a Woman Wants. Have you seen that one, Adrian? I have. Uh, Mel Gibson. Right. Uh, well, Mel I, remember, Gibson, yeah. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember it came out in the early 2000s. Um, Talk about No Fly Zone. One, you have Mel Gibson, who's a No Fly Zone in itself. And then two, what a woman wants is pretty much, I'm sure, a lot of men writing. I, I shouldn't say that, but I, it's, I'm, it's probably a lot of men writing what they think women want in this script. So it'll oh, be interesting I, to do this with that one. One of the favorite, my favorite scenes, just thinking of it, is uh, you know Mel Gibson throwing, thrusting his hips because he can hear what she's thinking. Like, oh, I just checked him out. That would never fly. Right. No fly zone for. For sure, there's way too many. <laughs> the whole movie might be a, a, yeah. a whole a whole fly a no fly zone. Um, but we'll have that coming up uh, either next week or the following week. Nonetheless, Adrian, thank you for coming in and talking with me about Superman. If anything, hopefully, you know, like we said, we got some positive out of it. John Williams score still holds up for me. Uh, and you know, maybe we'll do a bonus episode doing a quick 20 minutes on Superman 2. See, see if yeah, you get no to problem, watch no it. Problem. We'll Superman 2 and 3. Superman 2 and 3. Ooh, 3 is uh, not Richard Donner <laughs> anymore, bro. There's four of them. There's four oh, with Rit with uh Reeves. So I don't know how all in you want to go. <laughs> That's down a big rabbit hole. <laughs> it's but a your commitment. whole podcast yeah, yeah. is about a rabbit hole. So, I mean, we've gone down. That's uh, right. Started from, That's... from Vendetta to Superman. So. Um, that's right it's a wide range (laughs) and we and Uh, we have a common connection in gene hackman between season one and two i mean i feel there's going to be connections as as we continue to go right Um, Um, well i I appreciate you guys having me and uh anytime you guys need me uh let me know all right thanks adrian take care everyone and be safe
Del X. Lutherville. Marina Del X. Otisburg. Otisburg? Who's Tess Montreal? She's got her own place, man. Otisburg? It's a little bitty place. Otisburg?